Welcome to Working Dog Radio. Broadcasting the bite. Hey guys, we love Ray Allen Manufacturing. They have everything you need when it comes to dogs. Uh, their, their integrity is way up there. We get all of our stuff from them. They have an amazing website, easy to follow, great customer service, great shipping. It's our favorite company. They've been with us for a long time. We have a great relationship with them. RayAllen.com for everything that you need for dogs, period. RayAllen.com. Speaking of stuff we love, another one of the great partnerships we have is with our friends at Dogtra. The guys are producing some amazing tools in the dog training world, everything from e-collars, GPS tracking, the ball trainers, which I use all the time at the kennel. Um, so if it's electronic and it's used for dog training, Dogtra is probably the best way you can go. They are truly revolutionizing the way you communicate with your dog. Hit them up at Dogtra.com. All right, guys, the biggest and baddest canine conference in the U.S. every year is HITS. And, uh, you know, because of COVID, it got pushed back. Now, next year, it is July 6th through the 9th in Scottsdale, Arizona, at what we're being told is an unbelievable five-star resort. July 6th through the 9th, 2021, hits K9.net. We get it. Fueling a working dog can be tough, but they need high-quality food with great ingredients to be able to work throughout the day. That's why we like our friends at kineticdogfood.com. Great for working and sporting breeds. You've all heard mine and Ted's stories by now, being tagged by a dog and using Quick Derm for a quick treatment before we could get to the doctor's office. But it's no exaggeration. This stuff is awesome. Once daily treatment for any skin, skin conditions or small wounds to help stop little issues from becoming big issues comes in sprays, ointments, or dressing. Quick Derm is great at creating a protective barrier and promoting wound healing. There's no reason to not have a bottle of this in your car, your kennel, your first aid cabinet. Check them out at vetcare.us. Put in the discount code 10WDR. Ever dream of having your own kennel but don't want to deal with having to build it yourself? Believe me, I've been there. That's why we like our friends at Horizon Structures. Uh, has it all take all the guests we're taking out of it, and the kennel del- is delivered to your place, built and ready to rock. Horizonstructures.com. All right, everybody, we are back. Working Dog Radio broadcasting the bite. Another great episode coming your way. I hope you guys listened to the last one with Trent and Byron. Uh, I'm sure you really liked it because it was freaking awesome. Guaranteed it's one of the top five uh, received ones we've ever had. Um, My name is Eric Stambro. I am coming to you from Ohio. Um, With me, as always, is my co-host, Ted Summers from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Ted, what is up over there? It's cold. Man, it's cold. Like, uh, winter got here. Like, we didn't really have a fall, I guess. I mean, it got kind of cool, and then it's sleeting right now, and a bunch of people in Oklahoma City have no power. So... Um, yeah, it's ice storm. Welcome to Oklahoma. But other than that, we got to, I'm It'll finishing be 90 my, tomorrow. Yeah, well, yeah, on Friday, it's supposed to be like 65 or 70. Um, so, and I got a bunch of handlers certifying their state certification, uh, narcotic stuff this week. So, um, I'll be done with these dudes next week and they'll be out back at their departments causing problems for their sergeants. I'm sure. So, <laughs> uh, what about you? I'm uh, getting dogs ready um, for handler schools, uh, getting them all spun up, getting ready to bring in some new ones. Um, I have uh, a guy helping me, a young guy. He's a sport dog guy, 
Uh, he's also a cop, but he's not a canine handler yet. So he's coming in to learn some stuff. And I tell you what, it's been actually great because I do everything myself. I have no help. Um, I'll get guys, you know, from the Canine Association when they're able, you know, they work full-time jobs. So when they're able, I'll get them to help me. But he's been meeting me two, three times a week, and we're cranking out reps, getting dogs ready, especially on the detection side. So it's been a nice help. Um, other than that, uh, that's about it. <clears throat> I do have something I want to bring up, though, real quick. Um, oh, yeah. Everybody likes when I go on these little rants. Uh-oh. Um, we haven't done one in a while because they're not healthy uh, <laughs> from, from my mental state. But um, somebody got me all fired up on DMs today, and, and it's a topic that drives me crazy. Um, so there's, there's a T-shirt that comes out. It's, by the time this is aired, it's been out. Um, it's our Wizard of Oz training T-shirt where uh, we have been exposing, pulling back the curtain on these wizard of oz trainers that uh that hide in their little small areas and don't allow outsiders in and don't send their people to outside training um you know usually they're just straight up yank and crank people um (laughs) they but what they do is those types of people um trick people into thinking that they're these gurus when actually they're barely even trainers themselves. And the biggest one that drives me crazy, and this is what my big rant is about today, is these master trainers. Um, it drives me nuts to hear this. Um, so let me, let me tell you this. If you're a quote-unquote master trainer and you're at a conference and we see you and you're walking around with some stupid-ass master trainer hat or some dumb-ass master trainer shirt on, we are making fun of you because not only are you not a master trainer, you're not probably not even a trainer. What you actually do is you actually just train dogs to pass your NAPWADA certification. You actually don't know how to problem solve. You don't know how to train dogs from green to finish. Um, they're not all of them. There are probably some good ones. The good master trainers from Napwater or other places that call themselves master trainers that I that I have met that are decent don't wear fucking shirts and hats that say master trainer. And they go to outside training and they let outside trainers come in. Um, I just talked to a person today that um, their training group is like hampered by this master trainer. He comes in with a stupid hat on that says master trainer and their training is just nap water certification crap every single week. And most of the time, that guy doesn't even come. That kid that is working for me the last three, four weeks, I think, has probably handled more dogs and done more reps in the last four weeks than these so-called master trainers have done the entire 2020. I know that I've handled more dogs this year than they probably have their entire career in police work uh, as a dog trainer. So if you're stuck in one of these areas and you have a guy that calls himself a master trainer, where's those fucking shirts, man? You're a, the guy's a clown, right? And here's the thing. None of them will hear this rant because none of them would ever listen to a podcast from another trainer. That would never be a thing. Uh, they just, they're just their own little cult, these guys. Um, one of the biggest douchebags I've ever met in canine is a master trainer from one of these places and he is a tool that no one can stand um all these master trainers are are canine evaluators that's it that's all they are they test people on their national certification standards and they put themselves out there as these gurus yet they hold back their entire training group out of ego 
and the inability to learn from other people. It's crazy that this is still a thing. And people don't know what they don't know. You know, there's a lot of handlers out there that really need a lot of help. Their master trainer doesn't know how to help them. He doesn't know how to fix problems they're having. They, do, they don't do anything to forward and promote the actual canine usage. What they do is just promote their stupid certification standards that um, for a lot of places are irrelevant, right? If you're in Ohio, for example, and you have a state certification for patrol and detection work, you don't need a national certification. Yet they will tell you that if you don't have one, you're going to lose your house, your family's going to die, and everything's going to burn down. Yet that's never happened in the 25, 30 years they've been telling people that garbage. So get out of the rut. If you're stuck in a master trainer's uh, orbit, if you're stuck to his moon gravity, you need to um, try to look outside the box. So end of rant. How about you? What do you think? There's there's a dude locally here that's in a neighboring state uh, that's from a fairly large department, um, that I, that I kind of had to go through that process with. And on top of that, one of the founding members of Napwata, um, actually started my kennel. Um, Oscar Hall, I'll say his name. Mm. I don't give a shit. Um, he's the guy's a piece of shit. So, but he is, um, you know, he was one of the founding members of Napwata back in the early eighties or whenever it was that he <clears throat> quit when he retired from TPD. Um, and he started what became Torchlight, but, um, you know, he, there's some guys in this area that are still kind of like part of that whole crew. And, uh, yeah, they're, well, one of them is now Giglio he got fired for lying. So there's that. Um, but there's another one that's mm-hmm. uh, at a neighboring state just over the border, about an hour and 30 minutes from Tulsa. I'm sure everybody can figure out where he's at. Um, and he's a fucking shithead too. Now there are some dudes that are master trainers that we know that are really good. Like some guys out in Western Pennsylvania that, um, the guys that run blue line conference. I mean, I think they're, you know, Joe and their trainer and they're fucking squared away as like as anybody, you know, and I'm not going to throw anybody into the bus, but we had, um, at a recent HRD, I'm not going to mention which one it was, but we had a unit there that, um, they sent a lot of their officers and they, uh, were there because a lot of other training or certifications got canceled because of the Rona. So they're like, well, you know, you can't go do this, so let's go do this instead. And the handlers were super stoked, right, because it's non-like certification stuff. And it's not an Appwata agency. It's another certification body. And, um, you know, they were like, you know, our command staff, that our direct line supervisor um, really only gives a shit about trophies, that's it. And mm-hmm. it, and it and it pained me because these guys these handlers were fucking squared away. One in particular was extremely squared away. And I could tell that he had been handcuffed. Um he had been he'd been hampered. I mean it showed in the handling. Um in the scenarios at HRD and and a couple of them specifically. Um the kid was very sound. Um, tactically, but just was real, um, not immature is not the right word to use, but it was really apparent that anything outside of that norm, like all of a sudden, like <laughs> shit starts going weird and he's like, fuck, what am I supposed to do? I'm like, I don't know, dude, like whatever, what would you normally do? And he was like, fuck, I honestly, you know, I pulled him aside and talked to him a little bit and he's like, dude, I, I told him, I was like, you know, you were tactically were very sound, but I was like, you know, X, Y, and Z is going on. 
He was like, yeah, we don't really ever have to worry about that because we don't ever train that. It's literally, you know, if we go to these competitions and we don't do, don't bring trophies home, we get in trouble. Like there's a ton of pressure for that. And, um, they left and they were super jazzed about what they saw at HRD. And so, um, you know, I think hopefully they'll take some of that back, but yeah, um, it's been a long-standing problem where I'm at with, you know, some of the master trainer dudes with certain organizations and people trying to become master trainers. And if everybody wants to look at what that requires, Eric makes a good point. Like look up what, what it's required to become a master trainer. And I, last time I looked, it was like, what is it? Three or four dogs from green to certified in that organization. Right. I don't, it's not very many. It's like three or four, if I remember right. And fuck, I don't I do even that know in, until they I stop do, putting dogs inside cars. I, I'm not giving them any play. I do that in a fucking month. <laughs> they have like a year to do right. it. I'm like, well, fuck. I'm like, shit, I could be a master trainer in a month. But because I'm not active in law enforcement, I can't. So there's that. But, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. So that's where the <laughs> pulling back the curtain comes from. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so check out that T-shirt. It's pretty funny. You got to zoom in and see the uh, the serums that the uh, wizard has and that he's that he's trying to put in your drink. Um, so. <laughs> Anyways, enough of that. Let's get to the episode. Nobody wants to hear from me anyway. So, um, our guest tonight is um, a guy. We're not gonna we're not gonna say where he we're gonna name the aid, the unit that he worked for in uh, in the military. Um, he was a, a handler in the highest level of USASOC. He, he's a squared away dude. My my relationship with him goes way back. Um, it's pretty funny. He probably doesn't even know this. Um, we actually trained or changed the way we were doing training based on um, a piece of gear that we were buying from his company that he had, a Direct Action Canine. Um, they had were the first that I knew of uh, uh, to come out with uh, the hip leads, you know, the bungee-style hip leads that, that everybody's using. Um, we used to, back in the day, teach the dog, it was a USPCA thing, that come to us, and they would circle around the back of the handler and finish on the left side of the handler. And uh, we did that forever. Uh, our department, that was their training forever. And so when I took over as trainer, we were doing the same thing. Well, then the guys wanted to, you know, because we had a bunch of guys on SWAT that were um, – dog handlers uh, in the unit, and they wanted to start using the hip leads. Um, one of the guys, Chris, had found these guys and, and found it through some other friends of ours. And uh, so I was like, well, shit, we, if we're going to do that, we can't have them constantly, every time they finish an exercise, to circle back around the handler. So we had to change the way we flipped the dog into the heel position now, all because of our guest, uh, Jean-Claude LeBlanc. Uh, how are you? Hey, doing good, guys. How are you guys doing tonight? Doing great. Good, good. Um, also, uh, so back in the day I, when you were still in, uh, you and some folks came up to Ohio uh, to the um, Ohio Tactical Officer Association yearly seminar, put on some pretty good training up there with scenarios. Um, some of the scenarios that Ted and I uh, used that are pretty similar, um, I shamelessly stole some things from you. So, um we're, we're glad to have you on, and uh, without further ado, let's get into it. Like What we like to do kind of start off is tell a little bit about yourself and kind of what led up to today. Okay, so I, uh, you know, canine was actually a kind of plan B for me. I, uh, I didn't intend to get into it, mm-hmm. and 
things didn't work out and that got recommended to me. So I gave it a shot. It all worked out. And man, once I started doing that, I was like, I don't want to do anything else, man. That, that was my passion. I, I was in love with it. Um, so I'll be honest though. I, I, I went there late in my career. I was already a master sergeant when I went and man, I felt mm. like a private, you know, like I, I was like, man, I'm, I'm pretty squared away. I know what I'm doing. And I, yeah, I had no clue when it came to dog training, you know, and it was, it was rough, man. I, you know, I used to tell myself I, I didn't see my career going this way at this point, you know, <laughs> like, but man, it was, it was definitely the most rewarding job I had. Um, and I did that for about 10 years. Like you said, uh, at uh at an organization that man we had it made you know we had great funding top of the line trainers that you know we wouldn't have been able to do half of the things we did without those guys um yeah and it's kind of funny that you know your little rant there earlier because those are not the types that we had but we did see them elsewhere in the special ops community where guys would not want to come train with us because some of their trainers felt the same way. Like, Oh, I don't, I don't want my guys to realize that I don't know what I'm talking about. So, you know, we've got those in the mm-hmm. army. As well. And, uh, fortunately for me, I didn't have to deal with that, man. Like we, we really had best trainers out there. So, you know, I, I did that for a while. I, I handled, uh, four dogs over my 10 years, uh, three dual purpose. And my last trip was a uh, single purpose dog, which I absolutely despise detection. But, uh, you know, it was one of those. <laughs> where, where, yes. Hey, you know, I wasn't going to send my new guy. Um, he, he had a brand new dog and he'd never deployed with a dog. So uh, for me, it was more, it was more important that he go out and do the stuff that he was good at and get those bites and stuff like that. So, so I took the detection trip and, uh, I mean, we were really successful, but yeah, like I, I, I hate the fact that that's the way I went out was my last trip was with a detection dog, you know? So, but, uh, yeah, man, I do a little bit of everything, man, and it was uh, it was definitely, like I said, the most rewarding job I'd ever had, and I learned quite a bit from from every single dog that I had, um, and I try to take that into the the training that we do now for our company. Where did you grow up when you were a kid? Oh, you know what? My dad was in the military, so I, I bounced around quite a bit. Um, yeah, I was I was born in Connecticut. Then, uh, yeah, we, we bounced around different countries, different states. Uh, you know, Arizona was kind of home for me. That's where, uh, where I graduated high school. Um, and, but now, you know, I've never been back to Arizona. Haven't, you know, don't plan on it. So yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see. But yeah, I was, I was all over the place as a kid. Yeah, it's funny because you have a nondescript accent. Usually, you know, we can pick up on a Philly or obviously the South or, or something like that. But you're you're definitely an everyman accent there. Um, where did you quote unquote grow up in the army? Really, I, I've only got like three real duty stations. I did about six years uh, up in Washington State 
with uh, Second Ranger Battalion. Um, from there, mm-hmm. I ended up in the uh, the Special Forces route. So I spent about five years out in Colorado. Then after that, I did about 13 years at Fort Bragg, um, three of which were as an instructor for uh, for the SF community. Then after that, I ended up going to the unit out there and spent about another 10 years there. Then uh, then I finished out my career out in Hawaii, just kind of messing around as I was uh, and uh, that was kind of my, my twilight, and I finished up with about 26 years in. That's awesome, man. Thank you for your service, of course. Um, Appreciate it. We, we have a lot of guys that come on and guys that are friends of ours that we know that are Rangers. Um, so since you were 275, do you want to take any time to talk shit about the first or the third? <laughs> Is there any uh, any crap you want to say? <laughs> you know, it's uh, you know, obviously every battalion thinks they're the best. And, uh, man, I, I just got to say, like, hats off to all of them. They, go, they all go out and do a great job. But, uh, man, yeah, you know, I... <laughs> I, I can sit here and freaking run my mouth all day long. But, you know, to be honest with you, man, I, I left Ranger Battalion in like 2000. So it's, it's been a minute since <laughs> I've been there. When we, so you worked four dogs uh, while you were doing that. Um, we, we talked to a lot of guys that have worked several dogs. And one of the things I like to get from them is <clears throat> tell, tell me about each dog and what you really liked and what you hated about the dog. So my, my first dog, man, he, he taught me more than <laughs> about how to be a handler than any other dog after that. Uh, he, he was super social, but man, just a man eater. Um, but he was very high drive. So I had to be very creative in ways to, uh, keep him under control. And, uh, cause to me, obedience wasn't that important back then. I was like, no, I just need a dog that wrecks people. Um, so I didn't spend a whole lot of time on the obedience. Um, and also he was very loud. So when we were trying to be sneaky and, you know, try to be real quiet going up to a target, I had to be very creative in keeping him distracted so he wouldn't make noise and compromise us. So I ran him for about four years and, uh, you know, deployed to Afghanistan and Iraq with him and stuff. But uh, he, he definitely taught me a lot of what I needed to do from there. You know, and like I said, great dog, did, did an awesome job on target. But he taught me where I failed in a lot of different regards. Like I said, to obedience, <laughs> you got to have it. You know, and I, I think a lot of guys don't put the time into it. Um, but when I would find myself trying to engage or or just pull security or or uh, hell, one time we uh, we landed on a mountaintop um, and there happened to be a lot of gunfire already going on. So we came off the helicopter and he was already spun up. Now we had to move down that mountain and I found myself in some pretty tight spots where like, man, I, I couldn't let go because I would have fallen to my death. And I, I remember thinking like, this is how I'm going to die, man, not from the gunfire, but my dog launching me off this mountainside. And, uh, 
after that, I was like, I, man, I got to change the way of doing business. Also, when I came on board, we were still doing a lot of compulsion training. Um, and it was, hey, man, if you can't get the dog to do it, you're obviously not, you know, making it hurt enough. And uh, what I found later on, we got smarter, you know, because we got a bunch of trainers that are always going out and looking for better ways of doing business. And we got away from the compulsion and did a lot more positive reinforcement. And unfortunately, I developed a lot of bad habits into my dog because we were training like morons, you know. Um, and mm. we realized, yeah, you, you get a lot more out of the positive reinforcement and actually teaching a dog how to do stuff as opposed to just kicking his ass um, and making him do something. So, you know, I, I definitely changed my ways. And, uh, and the dogs I had after that were a lot better. Um, my, so I ended up retiring my first dog, um, after, like I said, about four years, cause he was already a little older when we got him. So he retired at about eight years old. Um, next dog I got was a little female Mal. She, uh, man, she was a, a rock star in a lot of ways, but then every now and then she'd show me a little glimmer of like, what the hell was that? You know, like, uh, and, and, you know, I'm sure that I fell into the same trap that a lot of handlers fall into. You know, you see little things that the red flag should be going up, but you ignore them. And, and sure enough, man, the, my first deployment with her, um, there was, uh, an opportunity for her to get some bites, but she was, she wasn't quite sure of what was going on and she was out away from me off lead, um, was in odor, but wouldn't commit because of some environmental issues, you know, and luckily like, you know, in law enforcement, you're able to work through those first bites and kind of help those dogs out. But at this point in the, the, uh, the deployment cycle, like we were kind of beyond that. We needed a lot more independent dogs that would wreck people coming out the gate, you know? So, um, we, she ended, we ended up having uh, a guy shot because she didn't engage. And, and, and yeah, it was, uh, I ended up realizing what was going on and was about to throw her right into the thing and try to help her out. But then, some other things happened and big gunfight ensued. And anyways, after that trip, I was like, yeah, man. So we ended up donating her to a uh, police department and sure enough, man, they were able to work her through it. And she's out there on the street still just wrecking people now, you know, doing a great job for that department. Um, and then my last one was not social at all. And, uh, I mean, so much so that everybody in the kennels was like, man, this place goes up in flames. Like, we are not helping your dog. <laughs> <laughs> I have some of those. <laughs> yeah, but, but he was, man, he was good. And, and I did. I, I put a lot of time into him because of everything else that I learned. Um, and, man, his obedience, his, every single task that we did, he was very good at it, very aggressive. And, uh, yeah, so... Uh, he was kind of the, the culmination of everything that I'd learned up to that point, you know, and, uh, yeah, it, it definitely paid off, but I, 
you know, just like everybody else, I learned stuff the hard way. You know, I was, I was the handler. That, no, no, I'm not going to listen to my trainer. I'm, I'm going to figure stuff out. And, you know, like, no, they knew, you know, they, they knew the right answers. And I was that stubborn, young, immature handler and came full circle. Once I did things their way, like things just worked out, you know, but, uh, yeah, man, you know, it's, it's one of those, one of the trainers you saw say, you, you, you get what you give. And if you don't put the time into that dog, like you're going to have a crap dog. You know, if all you expect to do is, Hey man, I only train them every Wednesday when training comes around, then yeah, you're going to have a crap dog, you know? Um, but luckily, uh, we, we had, you know, our, ours was a little bit different. You go about eight months out of the year training, you know, eight hours a day and then four months you go deploy, you know, which is different. So we, we kind of had that luxury was, you know, you get some departments that they maybe get one training day a month, you know, if they're lucky, they get one day a week. Um, and a lot of them, they're not allowed to train on their own. I'm sure you guys see it all the time, oh, you know, yeah. like, uh, I, my policy won't let me because if I get hurt, then I won't get freaking covered by the department because I was training on my own time. You know, that sort of dumb stuff, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, man, but I, I tried to take all the uh, all the lessons learned um, from from my deployments and environmentals and, and all the different things that, that I picked up along the way, both from the military side and training with law enforcement and developing a lot of scenarios that I think uh, kind of test handlers quite a bit. You know, like I I, uh, I don't really do a whole lot of scenarios that that crush dogs. Like I I'm not into that. I'm all about building dogs. Um, but I do a lot of scenarios that test the handlers and their decision making and try to put them in predicaments that our real world have happened. And uh, get them to identify gaps in their training. And I think you guys do a lot of the same thing with an HRD, but uh, yeah, man. So that's kind of, that's kind of where we're at right now. You bring up two things that I, well, Eric and I both <clears throat> not scream about, but the two, like we, I had somebody ask me the other day, they're like, you know, if you had to say like three things that you see routinely, um, at HRD, like across the board, like what, what is it? <clears throat> One is the dog's unwillingness to work away from the handler and two environmental problems. Um, you know, the third is another issue, but, um, you know, those two issues that you brought up, um, are two things that, you know, a lot of times we, Eric will do things at HRD that are, People are like, well, the fuck would I ever have to do that? And he's really good about saying it's not the point. The yeah. point is you may never see it, but mm -hmm. God forbid if you do. And I, and the way that I tell the story is I say, every time one of my guys gets a bite, my, one of my guys got a bite the other day, and I talked to him while I was gone, and I said, what happened? He told me. I was like, did you know what was going to happen? He was like, oh, yeah. I knew exactly what was going to happen because this is going on, and this is going on, and this is going on, and da 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 da, -da. I knew the dog was going to do this. And I'm like, and what did he do? Well, he did exactly that. Why did you know that? We've done it a hundred times in training. Okay. So yeah. <laughs> if they get to yeah. a point where they're like, I'm not a hundred percent certain what's going on. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm like, fuck, I messed up somewhere. So, and that's kind of the point. And Eric says the same thing. Like, you know, I mean, but those two issues, the inability, the inability for the dog 
in the dog's inability to work away from the handler. And we have some scenarios designed specifically for that. And then, um, the environmental stuff, like environmentals, I try and work into like literally everything we do. So yeah, I mean, that's a huge aspect, but it's interesting to see that that's a common denominator between normal, like law enforcement dogs at a small 40 man department in the middle of rural Nebraska to the highest, you know, um, you know, points in military special operations. It's, it's still the great equalizer is what it seems like. Yeah, I'll tell you, I think most of the dogs that wash out in our program are absolutely because of environment. Um, typically, the, the, the trainers will identify that early on, you know, because they're putting the dogs through the ringers and trying to, uh, trying to find out, hey, man, is this dog going to be good for our program or not? You know, they do a real good job of selection when they go overseas, but still, you know, out of 10 that they select, three or four might make it if we're lucky, you know, but yeah, the majority of them wash out due to uh, environmentals. And like I said, it was for us and the way we were uh, deploying our dogs, especially as the war started to wind down, we didn't have the luxury that we did early on in the war. Um, so we needed dogs that we absolutely knew were, were going to do their job away from us without the assistance, you know, for that very first bite. So yeah, man, environmentals were huge. And, and I agree that that's where, you know, you gotta, it's like gunfire, man. You don't want to find out that your dog's going to freaking latch on to you when you're actually freaking trying to engage a, a real, you know, <laughs> that is not the or time. <laughs> you don't want to know what, what's going to happen when I hit that door popper. Cause I'm, on my back getting waylaid by this dude. Uh, and man, I've never had to, I've never trained my door popper. I, and I don't know what my dog's going to do. Like, that's not the time to freaking to figure that out. You know, the time for that out is in training. And unfortunately, a lot of guys don't do that. And your rant kind of hit on it, man. A lot of guys just trainers focus on certification as opposed to real world things that they're going to encounter and how to troubleshoot that stuff. So, you know, and, and man, I, I hate to say it, but a lot of these departments, you know, and the handlers, they just don't know. They don't know any better. They're like, Hey man, this is, this is what I learned in dog school. And this is what my trainer teaches me. And as far as I know, that that's, that's gospel. So yeah, man, you know, and, uh, so we're trying to, uh, get out there and, and bring guys some, uh, some realistic training and hopefully get those guys out of that mindset and try to vary up their training a little bit so they're more successful out on the streets. Ted Ted has a great line that he says a lot at our HRDs and other places is you shouldn't be training 364 days for one day of the year, which is your certification date, <clears throat> which yep. is what we see with a lot of the HRD guys, a lot. Um, we see a lot of frustration out of handlers that come to us and they're like, we just do this sort of this. That's all we do. My dog has never been in a fight like this. He's never been on a bite longer than, you know, 30 seconds at the most. Um, so I want to back up a, a couple things. One, um, working your first dog for four years, that's from everybody we've talked to from any kind of command. That seems like a, a long time with one dog for one handler you know, in law enforcement is not, but it seems like in your level of the military, that, that seems like long. Did that change or is that? 
just an anomaly. You know, it just uh, actually, I I didn't think it was that long. You know, I, unfortunately, I ha- I had a dog that was a little bit older when I first started handling them, um, so he didn't last as long. But man, I've I've seen guys that that handled their dogs for nine years, you know, but then you got other guys that, man, their very first or second deployment, they end up losing their dog. Um, so I, I think time-wise it just varied. Um, you know, like I said, I, I saw some guys that handled their dog way longer than I did and, uh, others way shorter, you know, that, that went through numerous dogs. So yeah, I, I think mine was kind of middle of the road. You know, but um, I don't know about other organizations. I think, uh, yeah, I, 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 that's one thing that I, I do believe within any of the, the organizations in the special ops community. Like, we push those dogs very, very hard every single day. And uh, so I think we, got a, we get a lot less usage out of them than, uh, than you do in, like, the law enforcement world, you know. Because those dogs, man, they do. They they get put through the ringer every single day. So, the the other thing I want to uh, jump back to real quick is when you talked about changing away from the compulsion stuff to the um, positive reinforcement things. Um, when I when I first became a handler, uh, everything we did was choke chain, yank and crank for an hour. And I've discussed this numerous times, but we may have some new listeners. For an hour, we'd go out on the on the field and, and and pound the shit out of these dogs with the with the choke chain, and then at the end, five minutes later, they would we we would just go over and do five minutes in the corner playing ball, like they understood what the hell that meant. I think they <laughs> probably knowing what I know now, probably thought they got the ball for walking to the corner. But um, yeah. <laughs> I, when I became the trainer, when I became the trainer, I it's all I knew, right? But I'm smart enough to know that I need to work. Uh, smarter, not harder, right? So I was like, there's got to be a way for me to do obedience for 15 minutes, not an hour, hour and a half, that the dogs will like it and we get a lot more productivity. So we switched up to a toy-focused type um, positive reinforcement. um, And then eventually, just to make it even easier, we switched uh, over to food. Uh, You know, maybe we reward with a toy on the very last rep or something like that. But... um, there's this weird thing, and it, it comes all the way back from the 80s, and it transferred to trainers in the 90s, and then transferred into their people in the 2000s, where they believe that if you use food or if you use a lot of positive reinforcement in law enforcement, um, or probably even the military, that you're a pussy. And here we have someone who was at you know one of the highest levels doing positive reinforcement. How, how did that change come about for you guys? Again, like we were, we had, we had trainers that were constantly going out trying to find better ways. One of the things they did was they went out and found uh, George Hickox, um, who was not uh, a working dog handler, you know, or trainer. He trained gun dogs um, for hunting. And, you know, he, uh, he was a big clicker advocate use food um and you know that that clicker man you know that's that just like you were referring to if you used a clicker like (laughs) you were a freaking total douche right (laughs) so but how many times have you have you freaking 
been working stuff and like, man, things are not going right. They're not going right. They're not going right. And at the end, it finally goes right. And you're like, good boy. You know, like the dog's like, oh man, what what I do there? You know, like, did I, am I still getting it wrong? But the handler's so frustrated at that point that like, he, he's not giving them the, the positive reinforcement that he needs, you know, and, uh, and the dog can't differentiate. So, man, I, I am. I'm, I'm a big fan of the clicker. But, yeah, it was we started with George Hickox, and he taught us uh, how to do marker training. Um, and, man, like, it, it really revolutionized the way our dogs learn. Um, and, man, it, it, it took a bit for the handlers to figure it out, you know, on, on how to properly utilize the techniques. But, but man, like it did, it, it helped our dogs out a lot. And man, the, the, the learning curve went through the roof because now the dogs understood what was expected of them. And man, like they wanted to do it. They were excited to do it. It wasn't one of those like, Oh man, like here comes the pain, <laughs> you know, like they were happy in training. So yeah. Yeah, like that. That now, don't get me wrong. I, I think there's still a time and place for compulsion. Like that dog. Yeah, he should be excited about going out and doing everything that he does. But he also needs to realize that, hey man, when I'm full up on freaking whatever food Dad's given me, I, I still like, I still need to listen. You know, not not just like, oh man, he can. Okay, I've had enough food. I don't I don't need to listen to him anymore. So you know. That dog still needs to respect you as a, as a handler. Um, so anyways, but yeah, positive reinforcement is, is definitely something that I'm, I'm a proponent for. We try and use that at the kennel all the time, <clears throat> especially in detection work, but with everything yeah. else too, um, I'll wait to use force. Uh, I'll use force for two things. Um, after I've taught it motivationally recall and a down, but after I've taught it motivationally, and we do that just for emergency stuff. But then also, um, I don't like getting fucked up by dogs. Um, so I don't like fighting with dogs as a handler. I've done that. And I've had more fucking buzzsaws in the end of the leash. Scott, you know, my, I mean, you don't know this, but our, my, our partner at the kennel is an old, um, old, uh, seventh group guy. And, he, he used to tell me all the time, he's like, you keep yanking on that, that fucking chainsaw is going to start. And sure as shit, <laughs> like, you just keep correcting the dogs. He's sick of them. They're like, why are you correcting me? And they just fucking turn around and blast you. I'm like, all right, I get it. So, you know, I finally figured out by getting smoked a bunch that um, if they don't understand why I'm correcting them, then it doesn't really work. So, like, I got to establish a system. Like, am we going to correct you for doing something that's wrong, or am I going to use force to train you? Well, the problem is they're not gun dogs, and I can't use a shitload of force because they'll bite me. So, um, Eric and I both have kind of gotten a reputation for being, like, the, the home of misfit children for dogs that fuck up handlers. <laughs> and we've mm -hmm. successfully been able to train them and then turn them loose with departments and then never like bite me or bite their handler or anything else. I mean, I've had one dog that was just gnarly. He tried to bite me several times for just being a dick, but you know, I mean, he, he had been taught somewhere along the line that if you corrected him and he didn't like it, that he could bite you. But he like, right. you could see the process in his mind. Like when I would tell him to do something and he wouldn't do it. And I knew that it was willful noncompliance. 
And like I could see, and you know, he's not the smartest dog in the world. Seems well, Eric, you know, it's Taz. Is that fucker that yeah. I got from oh, you yeah. guys? Yeah, fuck face. That dog is an asshole. Um, <laughs> so, but he would, I, and I knew he knew how to do it. And I would tell him something, and he would be kind of look at me, and I'm like, you motherfucker. And I would correct him, and I was fair, and he'd be like, all right, I'm not gonna bite you over that. I'll bite you over something else, but it's not that one. <laughs> like he so. Like, I just kind of, like, played the odds in my favor. I just got sick of getting bit by dogs. <laughs> That's how I got to positive reinforcement. I got sick of getting fucked up. I had a Jack Russell Terrier that bit the shit out of me all the time. <laughs> Try to do four surgery stuff, she'd bite the hell out of me. But I, I just got sick of getting bit by dogs. <laughs> yeah, man. All training, it, it's crazy how, like, oh, now I get it. Like, I'm, I'm actually learning, you know, as opposed to, hey, man, I don't know why you're beating me, but eventually I'll do something to make you stop, you know? And yeah, whether it's, I figure out the task that you want me to do, or I make you stop hitting me, you know, <laughs> kind of deal. So yeah, man, freaking, I, I don't know why it took us so long and why so many guys out there, you know, uh, are, are so adverse to, to utilizing positive reinforcement. One of my, uh, off mic, one of my, other friends that's in that same community that you're part of put it very well. He said that force training and that shit works all the time because you're able to do it all the time. Right. Which is why gun dog trainers are able to do it all the time. Right. Like, cause they can just, you know, blast the dog is genetically predisposed to having that type of training work on it. And he said, but if you're in the middle of a fucking gunfight or in the middle of a track and you're and you're conducting, you know, you know, you're talking back and forth between other operators or other officers or whatever else, you know, you, you can't micromanage the dog. And that type no. of training requires micromanagement because it only works if it's a hundred percent consistent all the time. And you don't have that. And at least with the motivational side, when we teach them that way, they're like, Oh, well, I mean, if I do this, there's an anticipatory like reward coming down the line or there's something going on, but when all the other shit's going on that you're having to manage, like, you know, you're, we tell guys at HRD all the time, you're a cop first and a cannon handler second, right? Like, they have to be a police officer first, and then, you know, then you're a cannon handler. Well, you can't manage a fucking e-collar remote if you're having to manage a leash and a firearm and whatever, radio, flashlight, whatever it is. So, you know, and that's kind of one thing that I've always kept in the back of my mind is, you know, it's one of those we have to consistently kind of think about there's going to be a time when the dog is asked to perform something that it's done a hundred thousand times before and it cannot fail. And if the only way I've done that is by juicing his ass into the ground and the one time I don't apply pressure, what happens? And then if the wheels fall off, the wheels fall off at the worst possible time. And which is kind of the, <clears throat> the other side of that, that, that I, try and relay to my handlers a lot too is like you know you have to do it this way because of x y and z but yeah no it makes total sense to us oh yeah so before we go to break um jean-claude i have one question for you uh without getting you know too much into the weeds on on operations or anything is there a story that comes to the top of your head that you can think where you were like now that was fucking cool it was something the dog did that you were like this is why i'm doing this you know, man, that was, uh, again, with my first dog, there were several instances like that, you know, and man, uh, one was we, uh, 
I sent them into a compound, and we, we already had a guy balled up, right? So we, we had this dude with us, and my dog, like, every time I'd send them through the compound gate, my dog was like, nope, dude's right back here, so he'd come right back to me. Um, luckily, I, I had one of the guys like, hey, man, stuck a banger over in that direction, and, man, it was a uh, – it was a – single structure with multiple rooms, you know, just a long linear structure with a bunch of doorways on the uh, outside and each of them just a single room. So very, and we were running the camera on his back and the very first room that he runs into is just full of like 10 dudes and he latches on and just starts mauling guys. Um, and, you know, I was, you know, the guys run up, they stack on the door and as they go in, I recall my dog because guys are starting to stack on every subsequent door. And I was able to recall them, launch them before they went in, have him clear the room real quick, you know, and then, and then keep going. Um, and the other one was, uh, you know, and, and, and I thought that was very cool where, man, it, it just worked the way it was supposed to. He got his bite. He still recalled. He went, he, he I could cast him into other rooms, you know, and, uh, yeah, it just worked. And it just so happened that the last room was full of women and kids. And uh, oh, he ran, barked a couple times, and, and that's after a bite. And he came right out and didn't engage any of them. And, uh, man, I was like, well, right on. You know, <laughs> no paperwork for this one. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that one. And, uh, and then there was another one where uh, we landed in this little valley, and there was a couple guys hiding and you know it was in the daytime so we couldn't really see him uh and i ended up launching my dog and it was probably a good several hundred meters um we had some guys up on the high ground that were able to actually view what was going on so we had two guys hiding there and uh yeah my dog went up and just latched onto one, wrecked him for a little bit, latched on the other, and just kept going back and forth, wrecking each one um, until we got up there and uh, gave him the good news and then called my dog back. And, then you know, like, man, it just, it worked, you know. Um, but, yeah, there, there was a lot of, lot of different deals like that where, man, it just, you know, it, it worked. Um, and that was, I, I think, the biggest thing where, where you saw, like, hey, man, everything that I didn't train in, like it's paying off, you know? Um, so that, that was always very rewarding. Yeah, that's pretty, that's awesome, man. I, I love hearing stuff like that. It's, it's just, um, you, you got to fight the urge to, to get like focused watching the, like the slow motion way that they appear to be working. Uh, I mean, like f shit, I got to pay attention. We've got a lot of stuff going on here. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're going to go ahead and take a break at this time. Don't fast forward through the commercials. When we come back, we'll talk to uh, Jean-Claude about his company, about the gear and um, whatever else we want to get into. So uh, we'll be right back. Stay tuned. Yeah. All right. Highland Canine in Harmony, North Carolina, offers, offers training, seminars, consulting globally for police, military, and non-government agencies. They provide customized training programs to address specific problems and meet the needs of your organization. Check out their wide array of handler courses, instructor courses, supervisor courses, and online courses. Ted, where can they find them? Uh, you can find them at tacticalpolicecaninetraining.com. 
The canine is letter K number nine. It's no secret that we love Ray Allen canine equipment. We use their products every single day at the kennel. Their mission statement says it all. To be a world leader in the quality and innovation of professional canine equipment for police, military, Schutzen, and ring sport to ex- and to exceed our customers' expectations and deliver on time every time at a fair price. We full-heartedly believe that they've held true to that since it is our go-to one-stop shop for everything canine. You don't have to be a police officer or a military handler. They cover everything all the way down to pets. They have literally everything but the dog and the car. Um, so, Eric, where can you find them and how can you get a discount? Uh, we love those guys, man. RayAllen.com is the website. Be sure to add Working Dog Radio for 10% off the discount code. Yeah, go check out their decoy armor, too. We really like that at HRD. We get it. Fueling a working dog can be tough, but they need that high-quality food to give them the energy and nutrients that they require for the work we ask them to do. Kinetic Dog Food has a great balance of healthy meats and grains and is made specifically for working and sporting dogs. They have a full line of foods and supplements available, and they've been working to perfect their line with thousands of dogs and hundreds of departments across the U.S. And you can buy it locally or online at Tractor Supply, and they're also great people. Ted, where can people find them? You can get them at kineticdogfood.com or online uh, or at Tractor Supply, like Eric just said. One thing that's really cool about them is if you contact them via the phone, they'll walk you through what you're feeding now and the difference of what their uh, what their food will and to make suggestions on what you need. But uh, fantastic stuff for sure. Hit them up, kineticdogfood.com. Another one of our favorite partnerships is with the one and only Dogtra. These guys are producing some amazing tools in the dog training world. Everything from e-collars, GPS tracking, ball training. If it's electronic, Dogtra is the best. They are truly revolutionizing the way you communicate with your dog. And I'm telling you folks, the Dogtra YS600 Bark Collar is the best on the market. It will change your life. Ted, tell them where to find them, how to get a discount. Yep. Head over to Dogtra.com. Use the discount code WDR10 to get 10% off any single item over 200 bucks. Uh, yeah, you love the YS600. I love the ball droppers, and I love the 1900 hands-free. All of my dual-purpose dogs head out the door with those bad boys. Looking for a reputable canine kennel for dog sales and training services or green dog? Located in sunny New Smyrna, Florida, Southern Coast Canine provides services worldwide from purchasing your next singular dual-purpose working dog, finished dog, or green dog to handler courses and seminars. Southern Coast is a great resource, so check them out. They've got everything covered. Eric, where can we find them? Uh, we can find them at southerncoastk9.com, the letter K, number 9.com. We'll tell you this, folks. Ted and I see a lot of Southern Coast dogs when we're doing HRD seminars, and they're bangers, every one of them. Check them out, southerncoastk9.com. Ever dreamed of having your own kennel but don't know where to start? Horizon Structures has taken all of the guesswork out of building a kennel. Everything is pre-built to your specification preferences and then assembled and dropped off on your lamb. Boom, new kennels. That day, you move them in that right that day. It's insane how awesome those things are. And these things are amazing. You've got to see them to truly believe them. Ted, talk about it. Let's see it. Yep horizonstructures.com forward slash commercial dash dog dash kennels or just look them up at horizonstructures.com or give them a call 1-888-447-4337 and you can move the dogs right in the day it's delivered plug and play working dog radio we are back from the break 
Thanks, everybody. Hopefully you went through the um, commercials and didn't skip them. Uh, all the discount codes are in the show notes in case you were wondering. Also, if you don't like commercials, uh, Working Dog Radio's uh, page on Patreon. We do send the um, podcast out a day early without commercials in it. So take a look at it. We got some great sponsors. These people have been with us forever, and we love them. Uh, we're back with Jean-Claude LeBlanc, um, dog handler extraordinaire, dog business guy. So um, real quick, before we get back into the dogs, is it true that when you go from the Ranger Battalion over to the other units, um, your bench drops dramatically because that's all you did in the Rangers was just bench every day. That's not true at all, man. <laughs> <laughs> all the all the Ranger guys I know are massive human beings, huge yeah, people. But, you know, when I was there back in the day, like we were all a bunch of skinny dudes because uh, all we did was ran <laughs> and we weren't allowed to go to the gym for PT. And luckily like they have progressed a lot since then, you know, like they're doing things way smarter nowadays, but yeah, yeah, no, that's not true. <laughs> I have some friends, you so, know, they always say strong ranger, smart ranger. I have friends that are both. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, we like, for them. Sure. we like those dudes. Yeah. So back in the beginning of the episode, I mentioned about uh, us at the Canine Association hooked up with you guys originally through commerce. Um, you had you'd started coming out with some stuff. Guys like you that start these types of businesses while you're still in seem to be like MacGyvers. Um, did you did you launch the company out of making stuff out of necessity or how, how did that whole progression go? Yeah, that's absolutely how it went. Um, uh, there was, there was a couple things that, that guys were already utilizing. Like we, we had a really big sew shop over there with all the different materials and you'd go up to the sew shop and monster garage stuff just to make it work. Right. Um, so that's mm-hmm. exactly what we'd like. All right, man, I'm, I'm going to, come up with something to make this work. And, and then what I realized was like, Hey man, like a lot of these are great ideas, man. Like, I, like I'm coming up with some cool. So, uh, I, I went ahead and what I would do is I'd, uh, I'd, I'd monster garage it. A few, now I'm not a great sewer. So it would take me like, you know, version two, three, four, before I had something that, that actually mm-hmm. worked well. And, uh, you know, and then so I found a uh, manufacturer who was a uh, small local guy right there in, in North Carolina. Um, but that dude couldn't quite keep up with the demand. And he uh, he wasn't uh, he wasn't at that level sewing wise. So we ended up going with a, uh, a tactical company. And man, like so now we, we've got all the the top of the line materials, you know, we, we send all our hardware off to get coated and stuff like that. So we, we put a lot of, a lot of effort into our product, but yeah, that, that's really how it started, man, was I, I'd make something out of necessity. And, you know, then a few years later, I'm like, man, I can, I can make a business out of this. This is stuff that I think all other handlers should have, you know, um, the, the lanyard, for example, like when I, I, I go to law enforcement training and, you know, like they're not really doing marksmanship, but you see a guy like, hey, man, how, how are you going to shoot that gun one handed and hold a leash in the other hand uh, with that dog pulling? Like, man, it's hard enough to shoot a pistol, you know, normally with both hands 
and now you're trying to do it with a dog tugging on you. So, you know, like, hey, man, let, let's try to get this stuff out to the out to the people, man, out to the masses, and help them out with good quality gear. Yeah, the stuff that we got from you, uh, I, I don't know. Do you did you invent the hip lead? No, no, that was actually one of the ones that uh, that guys were already um, using. And and I'll tell you, I, I think uh, I I can't I can't tell you uh, who came up with that hip lead. You know, I'm, I'm sure some of the guys at work probably invented it. Um, but uh, yeah, man, I think. Uh, the one thing that we do is we've got, uh, you know, I, I modified it slightly to what I thought was the, the better end product. But uh, I know there's a lot of other hip leads out there. You know, guys will use the bungee or whatever. But, but the way that, like, they'll use those Pelican clips, right? And, yeah, they deploy really quick. Or, or they'll have the release at the dog end, you know, and when that thing is out at the end of the lead, they're having to reel them back in pull the pelican clip or or the or the pelican clips on their end and now this dog's got this open metal thing that can they can get caught up on stuff you know uh yeah man so we we put a lot of time into our our design and we think that that's probably the best one out there you know and i i know you guys at the uh you know, Police Canine Association, you guys are probably one of our biggest customers. Um, I, mm-hmm. I don't know. You guys, you guys, have you had a lot of success with them? Oh, yeah. We, um, like I said, we, at one point, we, we got them for um, everybody at Canton when I was there. And, um, and then when we started getting them, because we were the main focal point of the Canine Association, some of the other guys started getting them. Uh, there were a lot of guys uh, on the unit that were SWAT guys at their agency, so they definitely started using them. The problem was, with <clears throat> for like most things, is guys then still weren't going to the range and practicing the shooting with the with the hip lead um, or right. any lead to be to be honest with you. Um, so that 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 ended up being an issue. But guys really liked it. We did do some training with it, releasing you know the dog and things like that. Uh, one thing that Ted and I always talk about at HRD is. If you use a leash and you don't use a hip leader like that, don't get killed holding the leash. If it turns from yeah. a dog call to a gunfight, drop the fucking leash. I mean, yeah. listen, dog, I love you. You're my best buddy, but I got work to do, right? You got you to gotta drop it and put in in work, and that's a stark reality for some folks. But um, so let's talk, um, let's talk about direct action canine uh, a little bit. What um, – where are we headed with this? I know we're doing some retooling. There's revamping. Uh, what what kind of things are going to be offered in the next couple months once you get everything up and running? Yeah, you know, uh, we like we said, we we started this while we were in, and uh, man, we it, it, it's hard to balance doing our jobs and be businessmen at the same time. Uh, and we, we did a huge disservice to our customers. You know, we weren't, we weren't timely with a lot of our orders. A lot of them was cause we were deployed or something like that. But man, like our, our customer service was just horrible. And so now what we're trying to do is, uh, just do a complete overhaul on the company itself. Um, you know, update all our, our uh, websites, the the way we handle our our orders, um, getting stuff out there faster, 
and we're looking at, you know, doing more training venues. Um, and, you know, we, we do a variety of different training uh, that we offer. Uh, our biggest one that I think are, uh, or two, one is the, uh, our SWAT integration. And, you know, like there's, there's several other guys that have done SWAT integration for 20 plus years now. Uh, but to me, that's, I, I guess we have a different idea of what SWAT integration means. So for us, it's not, hey, you've got a dog at the end of a leash, uh, and when the SWAT team calls you up, you let it stick its head inside a room and alert whether or not somebody's in there. You know, to us, SWAT integration is that dog is running on like an assaulter, um, off lead, clearing in the dark, you know, and running between assaulter's legs and being able to differentiate between good good guy and bad guy. Um, and, you know, so, so we do that and, you know, we see a lot of guys that, that they see that capability and they're like, oh man, I'm going to go back and, and I, I'm, we're going to do this. Right. Um, well, man, you know, a, a good SWAT dog is just like a good SWAT operator, you know, like not every cop can be a SWAT team. Um, you got to put them through a selection and pick the right person for that application. And it's the same thing with the dog, you know, like they have to go through an assessment. So that's the very first thing we do is we assess the dog to see if it's got the, the aptitude to even do that. And once we see like, all right, hey, this one's, this one's the right fit, then we run them through the course. Um, and, you know, like we, we see guys all the time and we try to warn them that like, hey, man, this will be detrimental. Like you, you do this improperly. And you're going to get a SWAT guy bit, and they're never, ever going to want to work with canine again. Um, so the SWAT integration is the, the biggest one that we do. And the next one is our, uh, our tactical canine applications, where we do, like we were talking about, a bunch of uh, scenarios that are all force on force. And a lot of them are testing the handler's decision making. You know, they're, they're not really hard on, on the dog, but they, they definitely put the handler in some, some predicaments where like, Hey, we, and we tell guys, Hey man, do it according to your SOP and however you do it on the street, do it that way. Um, and a lot of guys have a hard time of getting out of the training mindset. Like, well, you know, if, if I was doing it for real, I do it this way. Well, Hey man, that's how we want you to do it. Do it how you would do it for real. And, uh, you know, and you see a lot of guys that they're, those, those courses just, they identify a lot of gaps within training. You know, unfortunately, a lot of departments, uh, they do, they train for those certifications and they don't train for the streets. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of canine training, you focus all your training on the dog as opposed to the dog team, you know, like, Hey man a handler's the other half of that, that freaking ratio and he needs training as well. There is um, not a single certificate actually I take that back. There is one certification for law enforcement in this country that evaluates the handler. Nothing right. nowhere evaluates the handler as a and I get it and I say this on day one of HRD seminars and everyone that's been through one has heard me and Eric say this a hundred times. 
the skills that you're certified to perform are not a accurate predictor of your success in the field, nor an accurate predictor of what you are asked to do. So your skills that we're asked to certify on versus the skills that you're asked to do on a daily basis are not even remotely fucking close, like at all. And (laughs) yeah, I mean, I say it all the time and people are like, Oh, that makes a lot of sense. I'm like, right. I mean, I get it, but I mean, that's why we're here. Yeah. I think guys need to realize as well is that like, Hey man, certification is not the end all be all. That is your baseline. Like, Hey, you are certified to do the very basics that are required of you as a dog hand. It does not test like what you should be doing out on the streets, you know? And, and a lot of guys just don't realize that, you know, like, all right, man, I can pass the bare basics to go be a handler. Now I have to step up my training to do the stuff that I'll actually encounter out on the street. Yeah, and, you know, the decision-making thing is a big deal. Several, shit, I'd say probably half of the scenarios. We do some in, in, in HRD, and they break down to the uh, handler, basically for scenarios for the dog or scenarios for the handler. Yep. If there are scenarios for the dog, I tell them. Like, I'm like, look, you know, this is what's going to happen. This is what I want to see. Like, we do one called the gladiator or circle or the gladiator pit or whatever, which is basically a targeting drill and a fend off drill. And I'm like, the only thing you need to do is like, Oh, the leash. That's why you're there. Like it has nothing to do with you. Nobody gives a shit that you're even there. And then we have right. some that I'm like, this is puppy shit for the dog. You got a five year old mature patrol dog. Like he's going to crush his shit because I, and or Eric or whoever is instructing, like I have to be able to pay attention to what you're doing. Like I can't worry about the dog. I'm going to ask him to do something super rudimentary and super simple you know, a basic skill set or whatever. And I have a very experienced decoy down the hallway or wherever, and and he's going to be able to then give me information after the fact and say he did this, that, and the other, whatever. But, you know, I'm looking at what you're doing, not necessarily what the dog is doing. And that gets lost in translation a lot with canine guys. And, And, you know, that I think when we go to HRD seminars and do them, those are the scenarios that make the most impact. Um, yeah. And, you know, I mean, the environmental ones kind of are kind of an eye opener for some guys. They're like, well, he's never done that before. I'm like, well, now he has. So <laughs> like, now, you know, yeah. like, I mean, yeah. you know, we had, um, we did one in Indiana and an officer, um, we were doing beanbag rounds, right? So it was a simulated felony traffic stop and we were shooting beanbags through the window so there's any number of things, right? Like the dog has to be neutral to gunfire. He has to be able to understand that we want you to go through the window we just shot. And there's all of these kinds of dog skills going on, right? So it's very not really like handler aware of that type of deal. It's like you basically just send the dog through the thing. If you realize he's not going to go through, yank the leash back and make sure he goes through at speed and all this other stuff. So this handler decided to, he saw that and he was like, holy shit, that's a fantastic idea. Went back to his unit, um, managed to get them to give him a shotgun um, dedicated for that and then ended up, um, getting in an officer involved shooting three weeks after three or four weeks after he was at our seminar in that exact scenario. And he was able to turn and he ended up getting shot twice himself. The dog didn't thank God, but, um, and everybody lived, but you know, he, he directly attributed. And then he came to another one of our HRDs in the same state and said, you know, I, we would not have done this had it not been for 
that scenario and that routine training after the fact. And he said, you know, in my heart of hearts, I knew that that guy that was going to go down that way. No matter what that dude was going to sit in that car and wait for that SWAT team or whoever to approach that vehicle. And he was going to shoot somebody no matter what, that's how it was going to go down. And that was the equalizer and the dog. I mean, the dog smoked him and he got shot and the dog didn't get shot, but, um, so, you know, the handler survived and I mean, he showed up two weeks later. Yeah. I mean, watching the video, I was like, holy shit. So, uh, hopefully at some point we'll be able to kind of post some information about that. But yeah, I mean, that is a, there is not a, and I've, I've, Eric and I have argued for years that, um, if there's one thing that needs to be added to a national certification, it is a mandatory like vehicle extraction for law enforcement. Like if yours, there's like one bite that you have to do, like that's the one you need to do. And that nobody wants, seems to want to do it, but my guys do it so often they're fucking tired of doing it. They're really good at it and they do it quite a bit, but which is fine. <laughs> they're really good at it. And they get asked to do it a bunch. So, <laughs> so, Let's talk about the SWAT canine stuff uh, again, real quick. Um, so many, mo- the I mean, there's, I don't know how many agencies have full time SWAT teams in this country. Is not a lot. The vast, vast majority are part time teams. Um, yep. Some of those are some sheriff showing up with a fucking deer rifle. But um, <laughs> yep. so when you go to, if you're called. If they call you or they, they hire you to come in and do a class, I, I right there, I give it to them. That's their first step, right? Um, and ultimately, the goal would be to to work the dog um, as an assaulter, going through and other people can work the dog, you know, and direct and all this other thing. But you're talking about most teams are trained two days a month and almost never use the canine in training um, or maybe a little bit. Do you have to alter your training for that? Or you just say, Hey, this is where you need to be trying to get to, or do you change it to look now? This is your location tool. This is what you have this dog for now. So we try to, uh, before we go in, we, we talk to the handlers and the leadership as well, and try to tell them guys, all right, Hey, look, this is, this is kind of the end state of what you want with your capability. Um, we, we tailor it to what they want, but we, we do, we, we like, Hey man, what are the tasks that you guys do? Okay. We'll focus our efforts on those, but yeah, it, it's a matter of sitting down with leadership and like, all right, man, Hey, this is, this is what we need from you guys in order to make this course successful. So we're going to need you to bring in a bunch of the assaulters. Um, you know, so this dog gets used to that picture of working around all the assaulters and, and the guys get used to working with the dog and seeing its capabilities and, and how it can enhance, you know, their operations. So I think by going now it's difficult because yeah, you're right, man. Like now you're paying overtime for all these guys and, and some departments just aren't willing to do it. But others, the ones that do, man, they, they reap the benefits and they're like, man. It, so it, it not only helps the handler and the dog, but all the guys on the team are like, damn, that, that was great training, you know? So, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of where we go. And uh, it is. It, it, a lot of times it's, it's hard to, uh, to explain a lot of that to the administration on how this cost is going to is going to uh, 
pan out, but they, uh, you also try to explain, Hey man, this is, this is what the capability is going to give you in the long run. Um, yeah, some guys get it. Some guys don't, you know, yeah, I, I don't understand. I don't think a lot of places really understand the uh, reps that are needed. Um, we see it because again, training canine training days, usually a reason to not be on the shift at work and to take three shits and drink nine cups of coffee and have a two hour lunch. Yeah. Um, you know, that was the big thing with the canine association. It's still that way. We get in, we get to fucking work, man. Um, I'm still this way. That kid that shows up at, at the fun house every day to work with me, he gets there at 815. Uh, I've already got the odor put out and we just start hammering dog after dog after dog. We got, we, we do so many reps of so many things by the time he's got to leave at noon to go to work. Um, we, you know, you, you, you have to have that mindset. And if you're going to be trying to do SWAT canine integration, it is rep after rep after rep. And you have to talk to the, the leadership about it. And they have to understand that, listen, uh, we, if you want the dog involved, he's got to be involved every day at training. He's got to be doing it. And that's kind of weird. It's a hard thing. And I get it because the handler still has to, you know, shoot and do his own tactics and things like that. Um, so um, real quick, I'm looking at the Direct Action Canine website. Um, is I know you're going to be relaunching and doing a lot of other things, but like, is that where, is it where people can get a hold of you as far as like, um, getting you to come out and do training for them and, and hire you guys to do that stuff? Yeah, absolutely. So you could uh, contact us at the uh, info at direct action canine um, with the kilo nine. And uh, yeah, that that's how uh, you get a hold of us and we figure out what, what you want. You know, again, all the, all the training is tailored to your needs so we, we sit down with, with the customer prior, figure out what they want, and we develop a training plan, introduce it to them, make sure it's to their liking. And once it is, we find a time that works for everybody, and then we go ahead and execute the training. Yeah, and the, what I like about you guys, too, is um, you, if you get on their website, again, directactionletterknumber9.com, and look at the stuff that they have on there, dude, your prices are really good, like – uh, um, I'm actually surprised that you're still, still so reasonable considering the way, you know, how, how expensive things must be to manufacture anymore, but like your, your leashes are, are very well made and very reasonable priced and your, um, uh, everything you guys make there. Uh, I, I know that that's, um, not always easy to maintain, but the other big thing that I see in here that's, uh, become a real big thing is, um, medical stuff you want to talk about that real quick like what you guys do and partnerships and things you have on the medical side so we uh we do offer medical training and that's something that we incorporate quite a bit um into our scenarios um but we we've got several products that uh that we carry um and and unfortunately that website doesn't doesn't showcase all of them but one is we've got a, uh, a medical muzzle that you'll see at most veterinary places, um, but we, we kind of modified it somewhat to where we can, we made them oversized so the dog can still pant, uh, which is huge for when they are injured. The dog has to be able to pant, um, but 
if the dog happens to get aggressive, there's a Velcro strap on there that you can, you know, go ahead and cinch that down where they can't bite at all. Um, and then once the dog's calm, you can loosen it up again. So that medical muzzle is, is one of the huge things that uh, we sell quite a bit of. Um, and that, man, that's, that's for any dog, you know, like it, an injured dog is not going to be compliant uh, when you're trying to treat it. I mean, a lot of guys like they, they do medical training on a little canine dummy and they don't realize that, Hey man, like chances are your dog's going to be conscious and it's going to be fighting, you know, and it, it's, it's really hard to treat <laughs> that dog um, while, while it's injured. Um, and so like for us, we, we always carried one of those little muzzles in our pockets. Um, the other thing, um, we, we carry is a, uh, is a litter for the canines. Um, and a lot of guys, man, they get hung up on, Hey, I don't, I don't need a litter. I'm going to throw that dog in the car and we're going to go code three all the way to the, uh, to the, uh, vet clinic, you know? And I'm like, well, what, what about when you're a mile into the woods on that track, you know, how are you going to get that dog out of there? Um, so that litter is, is a huge piece of gear that like we never went anywhere without, you know, every handler carried a litter and we put a lot of thought into the, our design, uh, to where that thing works great. Like you see a lot of other companies that carry litters and like, I don't think they've ever actually put a dog into their own litter because they don't work, you know, like a, a, a simple mm. a couple holes in it, man. And some handles isn't going to work. And the way we've designed ours, like it, it's actually like it, it secures the dog. You can actually backpack them if you needed to, um, made with real light material that are super sturdy. And we've also, uh, to make it dual purpose and make it to where you could uh use it as a signal device as well you know um and the other two items that we carry for the medical thing are what we call the cfac the canine first aid kit um which is essentially an individual first aid kit but it's kind of it's it's really just got the basics um for what you need to sustain that dog um to get them to the next level of care. And you can use that same kit for yourself. So, you know, like we don't throw a lot of dumb stuff in there that a lot of companies try to sell you like, Hey man, you, you don't need certain items, uh, to, to stabilize wounds. Um, and fortunately we've worked with a lot of great vets and seen a lot of trauma and done case studies on it. And we've, we've gotten very selective on, hey, man, this is what we need. Uh, and it's been proven time and time again in combat, you know, because we've actually had a lot of dogs hurt. And we've saved a lot of dogs because of the training that we've received. So, so we did the same thing with our, with our uh, CFACs. Um, and then the last thing we have, because we're, we're huge on, hey, man, you've got to carry a first aid kit, you know, for yourself and for your team. Because again, bullets are flying. Those EMTs aren't going to come get you. And if you happen to sustain an injury on a track and you're not near your car, you're not going to get to that little aid bag that you keep in the trunk. You know, it's going to be too late by that point. 
So we always try to tell guys, hey, man, keep something on you for for yourself and for your dog. And, and that's the thing. Like, hey, man, that CFAC can be used for either you or him. Um, and then we have a, a larger uh, actual trauma kit that has a little bit more that is designed to be in your trunk, you know. So it, it has a few more items for not just trauma, but, you know, hey, man, my dog ingested something while we were out working. So, you know, you've got the activated charcoal. You've got all the different things that are going to help. Um, and it's a little more beefed up, but it's not something that you want to carry on your person when you're doing that. So that that's kind of our, our whole medical line of equipment that we carry. Awesome. Awesome. And that's at the, uh, the website, correct? That's where everybody. It is. Okay, cool. And we're we doing the whole website cause, uh, we had quite a bit of drama and we don't need to go down that rabbit hole, but, uh, yeah, man, we lost a lot of content there. So, uh, but definitely feel free to reach out to us. Uh, if you don't see it on there and we can take care of you. Awesome. Awesome. Um, social media, you guys are on Facebook, Instagram. Yes. No. Where can we find you guys? We're on Facebook and that's all getting overhauled as well. Um, so yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Um, Eric, where can we find you? Van S K nine on Instagram, Van S K nine Academy on, uh, Facebook. How about you? Yep. Ted underscore summers on the Facebook. Um, and then Instagram or that's on Instagram. And then I don't really have a Facebook that I use for, well, yeah, it's just, it is what it is. And then, uh, working dog radio has its own podcast, working underscore dog underscore radio on Instagram and Facebook. And then HRD police canine, which you've mentioned a bunch. Everybody listens to this probably knows that, but it's on Instagram and Facebook also, which by the way, by the time this airs, we'll be in and back from Salt Lake City, which uh, Draper County, which is full, full, like super full. And one of our guests from a previous episode, Jake Hutchinson, the avalanche dog guy, is going to be up there hanging out with us. So that's going to be rad. Um, We're not doing avalanche shit, though. We're doing bite dog stuff. Jake is coming to hang out and uh, maybe get bit. We'll see. Um, But yeah, so and then the last HRD of the year is in Michigan. And if I recall, that is also sold out. Um, so after the first of the year, it looks like the first chance to catch up with us is going to be in Albany City. Uh, the city of Albany is hosting us for um, a SWAT integration seminar for um, first part of January, if I remember correctly. I have to go back and look at the dates. It's on the website for sure. But yeah, other than that, I'm closing out the year 2020, I'm ready for this shit to be fucking over. So, <laughs> 2020 has sucked. Mm. <laughs> Spent a lot of time inside. I'm over it. Uh, yeah, man, um, this has been an awesome interview. I I appreciate it. Um, and uh, I think there's been a lot of information exchange here that I think a lot of people will uh, hopefully take to heart. So, And I really appreciate you guys having me on. It was good talking with you guys. Yeah, for sure, man. Um. Eric, we're good, eh? Yep, that, yeah, Jean-Claude, I really appreciate it, man. It's been yeah. a long time, a long relationship we've had. Um, never really got to hang out very often, but um, appreciate everything you've done for this country and everything you've done for the canine units uh, around and continue to do. And um, we're not, we won't get into it now, but there might be some collaboration between Ted and I and yourself. So uh, we'll see what the future holds, man. 
Yeah, man, sounds great. And uh, dude, same to you guys, man. I'm, I'm, I I like to see trainers that are kind of like minded and 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 pushing it for these handlers and and doing it for the right reasons, man. Because a lot of guys forget why the hell they're there, you know. And uh, yeah, mm-hmm. appreciate freaking pushing up for these dudes and saving lives. Excellent. Yeah, we appreciate it, man. Awesome. We'll uh, we'll catch up with everybody soon. So everybody, stay safe. We'll be back. See you guys. Right on. You guys take care. You our very first sponsor of the podcast is our good friend Arno out at ALM. And I got to tell you, we love this guy and his stuff. He has the best tugs on the market. He has easily, without a doubt, the best hidden sleeves on the market. He's yep. got suits pre-made. He's he got custom-made suits he'll do for you. Arno's a great guy, man. He's doing all the work himself. I'm telling you. Uh, you cannot say enough about his stuff, his tugs. Um, guys, you got to check him out. ALM, canineequipment.com. Uh, discount code WD Radio for 10% off your first order. Check him out. ALM, canineequipment.com. One of our other sponsors has been with us since the beginning, and some of our favorite people in the industry are the Tripwire Operations Group guys based out of Gettysburg, Gettysburg, based out of Gettysburg Pennsylvania. They're an internationally recognized leading provider of product services training for federal, state, and local law enforcement agencies and military units and special operations. They are an ATF-licensed explosive material manufacturer, importer, exporter, and dealer with a wide range of explosive products to offer, including custom kits for the dog guys, and they deliver. These kits are great for detection canine and printing, and they have three different kits to choose from. The use of all three kits combines creates a complete explosive threat picture for canine teams. Be sure to check them out at tripwireops.org. The music in this episode is used with permission by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at Brother Deeg. That's spelled D-E-G-E dot net. Be sure to check him out there or on iTunes, Amazon, CD Baby, or anywhere you stream media. This episode has been edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt. Visit our other sites at patreon.com. Look for Working Dog Radio, hrdpolicecanine.com, and look for the nearest seminar near you. Working Dog Radio was graciously granted permission to use this music by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at brotherdeeg.blogspot.com. That's spelled brother, D-E-G-E, dot blogspot.com. Be sure to buy him a beer at Amazon, iTunes, or CD Baby, or anywhere you stream your music. Working Dog Radio was edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt.